to worship today. Beautiful today. Behold the Lamb of God. I love that song. Some of you, I know, were at the concert last week in Durham to see Andrew Peterson and company perform that whole uh, Christmas message in song. Um, I need to explain why I have a Carolina shirt on today. It's because they beat Kentucky. No, no, it's not that at all. Actually, Allison and I are going to uh, a graduation in Sarah. Uh, we're going to Jonathan's graduation this afternoon in the Dean Dome. It'll probably still be rocking from the Kentucky game yesterday. So hopefully there are a few Kentucky fans here so I can sort of rub it in. But other than that, I would never, ever wear this without it being covered up except for that circumstance. So please excuse me. I really wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm fine with you wearing your Redskins and Panthers and Carolina and State and all that. That doesn't bother me at all. But I just wouldn't typically do that. I did want you to know, though. Uh, why I'm up here with the Carolina shirt on. Well, you know, there are a few things in life that most of us dislike more than feeling helpless. And, and, and probably it's worse when we feel helpless to do something for someone that we love who is hurting than it is for ourselves. I mean, it's one thing to feel helpless when you're sick but when you've got a child that is sick, or you've got a spouse that has cancer, it, it, it's, sometimes it's even worse than if you had it yourself. How many times have you felt and said, you know, if only it were me instead of? Uh, there's just something about being helpless that seems distinctly un-American. And just think about how arrogant that statement is helpless is bad hopeless is devastating when you've just given up any hope it's devastating but that's where many of God's people found themselves during the time when Jesus was born Octavian was ruler of the Roman Empire. You know him as Caesar Augustus. Caesar was a title for the emperor, the, the, the current emperor like Julius Caesar. Augustus was a title that Octavian took to himself. Actually, the Senate conferred it on him. The Roman Senate uh, said, you are now Caesar Augustus. But he was more than happy to Receive that title, which meant holy or revered. Up to that point, this term, Augustus, had only, it had been reserved for only the gods. And now, Octavian is taking this title for himself, as if to say, I am one of the gods. Uh, it's... Uh, an inscription, an ancient inscription was found which hailed Octavian as Savior of the world. Ironic, isn't it? That Caesar Augustus sets in motion the birth of the Holy One. God, the one who would be Savior. And deliver us. You, you often hear about Pax Romana. Or the Roman peace. And, and indeed there was peace in the world. But it was a heavy handed 
peace. You spoke against the divine ruler of the Roman Empire at your own peril. If you were a nation that was subject to Rome, you existed to make life. If you were a, a citizen of a, of a nation that was subject to Rome, you existed to make life better for the Romans. That was your primary purpose in life, according to the Romans anyway. <clears throat> and so, Caesar Augustus, the self-proclaimed rule God, he was the ruler of the world. Everybody acknowledged that, the world that mattered to the people in the Roman Empire. But this self-proclaimed God who ruled the world ordered all the people in the world, again, all the people who mattered, to be registered for tax purposes, of course. In the end, we see how Octavian was simply an actor in the play of the one true holy God who was working all things to his purposes. So again, there's irony all through this story. But if you lived in that day and you felt helpless and hopeless, and someone said to you, God's answer to all this helplessness, to this almost sense of despair, is this little baby that's born under the most primitive conditions, you probably would have said, really? Really? That's, really that's God's answer? Th this baby? It's so nice to see this story unfold as it did. But in that day, we would have thought that if this is God's blessings, they are very well disguised. Indeed. But that's often the way that God relates to and interacts with us, isn't it? He just doesn't do things the way that we would do them. I mean, it's going along. <clears throat> I understand why this is the case, but you ever notice how when people come to Christ, it seems like, well, first of all, if, especially if they come to Christ when they're, say, 17, 18, or 25, or 30, all of a sudden you've got this person who is radically changed and on fire for Jesus. And every prayer that he or she prays is answered. Everything goes right for a period of time. And, and you're, you're sort of lulled into thinking, what's well, always going to be like this? You know, it's just always going to be great like this. And then things start happening. And, and, and I suppose it's not always that way, but so often it is. And it seems to me one of the reasons is, is God is building trust in, in, in the lives and hearts and minds of his, his followers. And then the older we grow, the more we mature, the more he desires for us to trust him when things don't always go like they should. And sometimes all life long, as it was for many of these people who were alive in that day, it seems like God is just absent. Why does he do these things? Because more than anything else from us, God wants us to trust him, to believe. So let's read this incredible account of Jesus' birth found in Luke 2, 1 to 21, and, and recognize that many people have found this difficult to believe. Perhaps you find it difficult 
to believe. Or maybe, as is the case with almost all of you, I would imagine, you don't have trouble believing this, but you're having trouble making sense of what God is doing in your life and making sense of your world. Okay, well, I get that, but we're so far removed, we don't enter into the world that they lived in. So ask the Lord as we read to give you a trusting heart, to believe that even if his blessings are disguised, he is worthy of our trust. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? And as you stand, let's take a trip down memory lane. We used to do this, stopped it not long after we moved in here, just because it couldn't happen. But I want you to read this passage. I'm going to read the first three verses. Then someone else, anyone else, pick up and read the next one, two, three, four verses. Whatever you want to read. And then someone else, pick it up. But please, if you decide to read, don't read like this. And in those days, a decree went out. You know, boom it out. Say it so we can all hear it. You don't have... I'm the only one that doesn't need a microphone in here. I've got one. You don't need one, but... Or you might need one, but but read it loud enough for us to hear. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, we do exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, We recognize that our only hope, 
Our only help is in him. We are a self-sufficient people. And we thank you for allowing us to see from time to time our need. Because you are God. We belong to you. And whatever you do for us, to us, through us is good. And we exalt you, Jesus. We pray that our hearts are opened. And we not only enter into this time, this, this wonderful, beautiful night on which Jesus was born, but also a difficult, um, demanding night. We pray that as we do, that you would become much more firmly established in our own hearts and in our lives and in your story that we are called to play a part in. And we're so grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. That's quite a story, isn't it? I mean, when you think about Octavian, Caesar Augustus, ordering this tax or this registration for his own benefit, God was setting in motion the events that would lead to the birth of the Savior. Joseph headed to his ancestral home, and Mary went along with him. Now, Mary, there's no record anywhere that would lead us to believe that Mary had to go with Joseph. But she went anyway, even though she was well into her pregnancy. Why, why do you think she went? I mean, look, a lot of specula- speculation puts you in some bad places, but I, there's a lot in Scripture that seems to invite us to speculate, to think about what it was like. What, why do you think Mary went? I mean, I, I, I would think possibly there's a pretty good chance that Mary was ostracized. I mean, they sent her off right away to her cousin Elizabeth when she was pregnant, and, 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 and she would have faced a lot of ridicule in Nazareth for this pre-wedding pregnancy. Now, good chance, almost certainly she and Joseph were husband and wife. They didn't live like husband and wife. They lived together, but, but, but nonetheless, people knew that she was pregnant before the marriage, and I, I can imagine that Mary just wanted to be with her man when this baby was born. And so difficult as it was, she said, Joseph said, I'm going to Nazareth. Uh, I'm going with you, Joseph. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Okay, let's go. That's the way it usually works, isn't it? I've heard uh, people argue that Mary and Joseph surely would have had family in town, and so therefore it's impossible that Jesus would have been born in this stable. And some of the houses had guest rooms, and and they would use these guest rooms, but when guests weren't there, they would put the animals in them, in the room, and they would have a feeding trough. Usually the way it works in our day is that when guests are here, that's when animals are in the room, you know, and when your family comes in. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But so there... It's highly unlikely that's the case, though. I mean, this text seems to indicate that Jesus was born in circumstances very similar to what you see in the nativity scenes, only that the nativity scenes, 
that you see down at the First Church on um, Saturday night were not nearly as dirty and smelly and nasty as the case was where Jesus was born. Um, can you think of a stranger way for the King of Glory to enter this world? I mean, it couldn't have possibly been further from what we would expect if we were able to get our minds wrapped around the notion that God would come to the earth as a human and live amongst us. We would have figured it to be some other way altogether. Like, for instance, he would show up like an angel would, you know, just kind of all of a sudden, new man in town, you know. Who is this guy? Well, he's God. Well, I guess that's the way God would do But this way? No. I mean, we could not expect it. I mean, couldn't God the Father even arrange for a decent place to be born for his son? Once again, God does things differently than we do. And we think, you know, we we read Isaiah 55 where it says God's ways are, are, are as far above our ways and his thoughts are as far above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. So we attach some sort of a, I don't know, a noble deed kind of an idea and quality to God's thoughts. His ways are always going to be good. We mess things up. But look, his ways are, his blessings are often disguised. And, and, and if we could find that anywhere, we ought to see it here at the manger scene. Think of what it means that God became man. I used to think that even in Mary's womb and in the lying in the manger that night all wrapped up like a mummy, uh, they did it, you know, to keep the limbs straight. And, and, and Jesus is, is all wrapped up there that he knew that on this day in Bethlehem, he was <clears throat> processing that we would be talking about this. I don't think so anymore. And look, that's just one of those great theological discussions and debates that we could have and never come to an answer. I do know this. Jesus was a baby, just like you and I were babies. He was a baby in the same manner that we were. He cried when he was hungry in spite of what a little town of Bethlehem or away in a manger might tell you. I think he cried when he was hungry. I, I, I think he had... He was cold and he had restless nights with colic and fever. He was just like us, except without sin. In theological terms, sin is accidental to human nature. It's not necessary. So it was not necessary for Jesus To be sinful in order to pay for our sin. He became sin for us. But he was not sinful when he was born. How absurd it must have seemed then. For God to come that way. And yet how appropriate it is in retrospect. Can you imagine a child born on that day. The same day Jesus was with lower prospects in life, as a nod to our British friends, Commonwealth friends. That sounds very British, doesn't it? He had 
very low prospects when he was born. The Son of God was born into this world, not as a king, but as a child of a relatively poor family. I don't know that Joseph and Mary were dirt poor, but, but they weren't wealthy by any means. When you, every, every you see, this past year, I think it was the Bible. You know, I talked big about this show that A&E was doing or the History Channel or somebody, the Bible. And sure, sure enough, as soon as I talk big about it, they come off with this crazy stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I wish I'd have waited because it was a several-week series. But I, if, I, if, if I recall correctly, that was the series where they portrayed Mary as just really dirty. And that's probably far more accurate than most of the Marys that we see. We get the, you know, prettiest young woman in the, you know, with long blonde hair, you know, and the baby. And, and that's not the way it was. They were a poor family. And that's where Christianity began and where it always begins, with a sense of need. It's God's grace enabling us to embrace our insufficiency. That's where Christianity begins. When God's grace allows us to say, I'm not good enough, I can never be good enough. In fact, I am sinful, I am opposed to you. Christ himself set the example. Being born in the most humble of circumstances. And to this day, Jesus is born only in those who were poor in spirit. This is one of those crazy things. You know, long before uh, Joel Osteen was talking about your best life, um, Robert Schuller was preaching from the Crystal Cathedral. And I saw him at Christmas one time and he said, Jesus Christ came in the form of a baby in Bethlehem and he's still coming today in the form of a positive thought. And I thought that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. It is as far from the truth as you can possibly get. Jesus only comes to hearts that are poor in spirit. And I have to be careful because when I say like that, I get on my horse, you know. I'm better than Robert Schuller. I'm smarter than he is. But Jesus comes for those who are poor in spirit. And it's astounding to think about it. Lucy Shaw, in her beautiful poem, Mary's Song, says, Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled the universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. The one who asked Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. When I made the clouds in garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, now himself lay in swaddling cloths, bound, unable to move, unable to do anything. On his own. It's the mystery of the incarnation. If you're a musician, you're most likely familiar with sympathetic resonance. I should have gotten one of the musicians, really. It was too late when I thought about it. I, all my best ideas are last minute, which David knows all too well, but I didn't want to trouble him with this. Music, uh, sympathetic 
resonance is when you've got two stringed instruments. If they're perfectly in tune, say for instance, let's say Forrest was playing electric guitar today, Scott was playing bass, but let's say there are two acoustic guitars up here. And if you play a string and they're perfectly in tune, if you play a string on one, the other will gently vibrate and make a sound possibly make a sense. Same thing with pianos, tuning forks. You can do that, but everything, the conditions have to be just perfect for that to happen. Kent Hughes says this about Jesus' sympathetic resonance with us. Christ's instrument, his humanity was like ours in every way, except that he had no sin. And when a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, it resonates in his. You get this? This is this baby. There is no note of human experience that does not play in Christ as well. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews 4:15. He has an unequaled capacity for sympathy. It goes far beyond intellectual understanding. Jesus does not just imagine how his children feel. He feels it. What, what, are, you, what are you going through right now that is painful, that is not the way you want it to be? It is so hurtful you don't know if you can endure some sickness, some broken relationship, some economic. Jesus feels it at the same level you do. Let, let's, I want to take just a moment to absorb it. Read that again if you want silently. Everything about Jesus' birth points to simplicity. Verse 8 makes it seem as though this theme of simple will continue. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, be honest. Did you hear my voice or was Linus' voice getting some play in your head when we read verse 8? You know, it's just one of those things that... It's part of Christmas, isn't it? We have this romanticized view of the whole scene, including the sterilized, clean straw stable, you know, where everything is, is just right. But I, I, I got to tell you, there was nothing romantic about in the first century about shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. I mean, shepherds were... That, that job was the lowest of the low. And if you... Had that, if that was your job, then your character was suspect automatically. The only people lower than shepherds at this point in Jewish history were lepers. 
Anyone here spent enough time, and you don't have to raise your hand, if you spent enough time in Europe to understand how people feel about gypsies, there are modern day gypsies, and look, people in, in, in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, I spent, you know, about a week in the Czech Republic, and then in Hungary, visiting Dennis and Linda Beck, our missionaries there. And people do not have a high view of gypsies at all. They're considered charlatans and thieves. And in most people's minds, they're beyond redemption. Now, missionaries coming in think, oh, no, this is fertile ground. But they, after a while, begin to think, ah, you know, okay, well, I see what people are. That's the way shepherds were viewed back in that day. How in the and so God brings this incredible news to these people who are unreliable. Their, 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 their testimony in court was inadmissible. They, they just he's a shepherd, strike him. Can't call on him to be a witness. Verse 9 is where everything changes in Bethlehem. An angel of the Lord appears to these lowly shepherds and tells them of the birth of of, by all appearances, a lowly child. Now, if someone had walked up to the shepherds and said, Hey, God was born just down the road in a stable. What do you think? They would have laughed him to scorn. But when an angel of the Lord says it, and there's glory of the Lord shining all around, you know, that tends to, to cause one to take this more seriously. You know, it's not like just somebody coming up and saying, Hey, 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 God's down the road. As a baby in the stable, you'll you'll smell it before you see it. You know you, you you will you'll know when you get there. The angel sought to put them at ease. Once again, this happened over and over in Scripture. Fear not. <laughs> okay, I mean, I would imagine um, that their fear and shock was so great that it was only later that they recalled. All of these words exactly as they were stated. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll see him in this throne room. and No. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel comes to just about the lowest people on earth to bring great news or good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, <clears throat> the shepherds being Jewish, being Israelites, would have considered all the people to be all of God's people, or that is, all who were Israel and those who had decided to join and convert to Judaism. Um, it's, it, it's certain that they didn't understand what we understand today. That this announcement has far broader implications. Next week when we think about Simeon and Anna, the Gentiles are going to be brought in in the temple for goodness sake. But we'll get to that Next week. Um, <clears throat> c- 
consider who this was that was born. It was the one that the Jews knew as Yahweh. There's this linguistic connection between Jesus and Yahweh. Born on this day in Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He was anything but the kind of Savior Israel was expecting. We're not talking about the wise man this year. I don't know if I've ever talked about him. The three kings. It's not three. We don't know if it's... We, we, we just... We're not talking about him this year, but... But when they came to Herod and Herod got the scholars together... He said, where's the Savior going to be born? What was their response? Bethlehem. Pointed back to Micah 5, 2. And so they knew, but they didn't think it worthy of investigation. They're like, well, yeah, it's Bethlehem, but, but that's not him. You know, he hasn't come. We would know about it if he had come. It's instructive that, Again, the sign the angels gave to the shepherds. They would find Jesus in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that may have created in this moment, you know how these emotions just go all over. And you process things fairly quickly. And the shepherds are scared out of their wits. And now they're hearing king, savior, baby in a manger. Really? In a stable, in a barn? That's right. If there was any doubt in their minds about the reality of what they were seeing and the truthfulness of this strange announcement, then what happened next put any uh, doubts to rest. It confirmed what they thought they were seeing and hearing. A multitude of the heavenly host, a multitude of angels were praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. A multitude, not a hundred, not a thousand, a multitude, uncountable, innumerable, stretching very likely from horizon to horizon. Now, the Lord gives those eyes to see that he wants to see. So it's not like this woke everybody up in Bethlehem. So just the shepherds are seeing this. But can you imagine? I mean, one of them saying, look, that stuff we've been drinking. is," And the other one saying, that wasn't drink. We all saw, we all heard the same thing. They weren't hallucinating. Even with this large number of angels, the shepherds could understand what they were saying. Isn't that interesting? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is, a, he is pleased. Now that's not necessarily the message one might infer if, 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 if he's reading from the King James Translation of this. King James Version is a great version. Much of the language is archaic. Some of you, I know some of you have it. It's the one you prefer. You grew up with it. All my memory work is in the King James. But this verse is not translated very well. You look at almost any other in the King James. You look at almost any other translation and it has a different meaning. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
It's as if God's will, goodwill is toward all men. And that's a very convenient message in our universal kind of a day where we, universal belief day where we think everybody is going to be saved and God has come for every single one. The ESV is a better translation. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or I think the NIV says, on whom his favor rests. How do you know if you are one with whom God is pleased? It's pretty simple. And yet, hard to get your head around if you've never really believed this way. Do you believe that you're insufficient in yourself to make your way to God? And do you believe that God the Father sent His Son to this earth as this humble servant and that Jesus lived a perfect life which made Him eligible or which confirmed that He was the only eligible one to die for our sins, absorbing, taking upon Himself the wrath of God that was rightly directed toward us. In other words, do you acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God? And do you believe that Jesus died for you? If so, then Jesus lives in you. And when God sees you, He sees Jesus. And He is pleased. He is pleased if Jesus he is pleased with you if Jesus lives with you, within you. This is really good news. It's the gospel, in fact. Glory to God in the highest. Well, the shepherds went to see for themselves. Um, I, there was not an ounce of doubt in their minds. By this point, they believed. You know, they, they, there was no question. They just went. They wanted to see what God had told them. So they went and they, and they found everything just as they had been told, and then they shared what they had seen and been told by the angels. They said, you won't believe this. And Mary said, isn't that just like God? Now, that's not what Mary said at all. She, look, probably you've said that. I know some of you have said it, and I'm in trouble. I'm, I, I, you've cut me off right now. But look, if you live your life Expecting God to work a particular way. It's, sooner or later it's going to bite you. And yes, yes, we can clearly see the hand of God in a lot of things. And we praise Him and we exalt His name. But we also praise Him and exalt Him when it doesn't make any sense at all. That's what we're called to do. So what did Mary do? She pondered these things. Again, and again, and again, we see that with Mary. She's trying to make sense. She will spend her entire life not making sense, or Jesus' entire life, not making sense of who he is, what, he, what this whole thing was about. And she makes some really bad decisions because of her misunderstanding. Remember, we just read in Mark not long ago, when Jesus' mother and brothers were trying to pull him off the scene, they wanted to put the hook on the neck, you know, and get him off stage. Because they, they, they thought he had lost his mind. Mary somehow agreed. She, but she's pondering these things. She's making sense. And God was gracious. 
to give her that heart and mind that sought to make sense. Now, here's what we're going to do to close up. Just, let's just take a few moments and ponder with Mary. What do you think? And, and I want you to help. We're not bringing microphones. This is not a long testimony time. We will do that next week if the, the, the time for, frame for the sermon allows. I would like to spend 15, 20 minutes just sharing about the mystery of the incarnation and what it means to, to us. We typically try to do that the Sunday before um, Christmas. But, but today, let's just think about what do you think Mary was pondering as you have been pondering in this service? What, what do you think was going through Mary's mind? You can stand if you would like to. Yeah, that, why me? I mean, most of the time, why me means, well, life's pretty bad, why me? But it, it, it is kind of, it's almost disconcerting sometimes, isn't it, when God gives you this big responsibility and blesses you and it's like, well, I'm not worthy of that. That's interesting. I'm sure Mary was thinking, why me? What else do you think she was thinking? Pondering in her heart. It would be. still is, isn't it? But we have so much more information. What does it mean, Savior of the world? How would you raise a child that you know is so much higher than you? Yeah. I mean, in the best of... Look, I was a psychology major in, in Bible college. I double majored in psychology and Bible. And, and when very early in our marriage... Uh, my wife announced that she was with child four months into our marriage. She got pregnant and so, or it was in a family. Well, let's just stop right there. Four months in, I thought, I can handle this. I'm a psychology major, you know? <laughs> Through that nine months, it's amazing how the closer we got to the time, the less I knew. And by the time she was born, I was like, I don't know what to do with this baby. You know? Now, that's a man. You know, I mean, I'm not the one that's got a razor. Think about Mary. How do you raise this child? I'm so, did, was that all, Jason? That was a great. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do with it? I don't know nothing about raising no God. I mean, <laughs> Savior.
Yeah, and that's always big on parents' minds. A lot of her thoughts were the same as ours, but then you've got this added announcement. Well, there's a lot to think about, isn't there? At, at any rate, whatever it is, I, I, I'm thinking if I'm one of those shepherds, I, I, I believe it at this point. But not at the level Mary does. <clears throat> and certainly she's coming at it differently. She didn't even try to explain it to Joseph. To Joseph. And to, the, to the community. Right. He had to be looked down upon thinking he was, he was in the wedding. Yeah. All of that going on in your mind. I mean, there's just so much, isn't, isn't there, that, that we're pondering with Mary and absolutely treasuring all of these things, pondering them in their in her heart, and she is seeing this at a level we're called to believe with her, even though it's not making sense. Well, the shepherds went and told everything that had happened. Now, remember, their testimony was unreliable. So, again, God chooses to use the basest of people. He just, why does he, who knows? And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, a name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This week, let's pray that God will give you opportunity to do exactly as the shepherds did. And you know what? It's not our word anyway. It's his word that is going to the masses. Let's stand together. Oh, come let us... Uh